0: Our unison reading this morning is Psalm 131. It's a very, it's a very short psalm, but it's a rich psalm. There's a lot here to think about. David encourages us in humility as we approach God in worship. That's the main idea of this psalm. He is guiding us in dealing with our pride, the pride that we uh, often struggle with as we come to God in worship. One of the great struggles that we face as we prepare ourselves to come into God's presence. And to pray to him and to hear his word taught is the struggle with our own pride. Self looms large in our hearts and in our minds, and we need to go to war with it. And Psalm 131 encourages us in this and helps us with this. So I want to take a look at Psalm 131. I want to spend some time on the title, just a few minutes on it. I usually do this, but I especially want to this morning. So uh, I think this will be very encouraging for you. The Psalm 131, you'll see in the title, is a song of a sense. (laughs) It's up, David. It's a song of a sense. It's part of a collection of 15 psalms. Psalm 120 through 134, you might want to note that down for your own encouragement, edification, and use of those psalms. The song of a sense, essentially, I I, I could, I guess, go through an argument about this, but I'm not going to. I'm going to skip over it. A Song of Ascent essentially is a psalm that helps the the child of God prepare his art for worship, to approach the Lord. The idea of ascent is to come near to the Lord, to enter into his presence, to come to the Lord in worship and praise and thanksgiving, to receive from him his blessings and to offer to him our offerings of praise and of worship. The Song of Ascent depicts the various experiences that a believer encounters as they... Prepare themselves to approach God in worship. And so, essentially, Psalms 120 through 134 are extremely helpful in a practical way for the people of God as they get up on a Sunday morning and do all of the work that's necessary to prepare their hearts and their minds to come into worship and to present themselves before the Lord God in worship. Now there's a lot more I can say about all of that, but I'm I'm going to skip over it. I can give you some examples of this just so you can get an idea of what I'm talking about. If you were to peruse Psalm 120 through 134, you would you would find in this collection of psalms songs, songs that are praying for peace on the people of God. Or praying for blessing from the Lord or God's blessing on the people of God. Things that we tend to think about when we go to worship. Things that believers tend to work through as they prepare their hearts for worship. You'll find prayers for the expansion of God's kingdom or the ultimate coming of God's kingdom in final judgment and the hope that that is to us and the encouragement that that is to us. You can find in these psalms a prayer for for, for forgiveness, a confession of sins, a prayer for the mercy of God. In fact, one of the best prayers of confession all the Bible, Psalm 130, which contains one of the best verses in all the Bible, Psalm 130, verse 4. There's forgiveness with you, that you might be feared, that you might be worshipped. And that beautiful psalm, Psalm 130, you can find in these psalms uh, believers dealing with distractions. For instance, you'll find a psalm where the, the psalmist is praying for God's help with the distraction of persecutions. Uh, you can imagine that that would be very helpful to a child of God as he's under persecution, he's going to worship, he's having to deal with all that's involved with that distraction. You'll find two psalms on the distraction of children. Psalm 127 and 128 are reminders to the people of God that children are not a distraction, they're a blessing from the Lord. And God promises to bless them in worship. And they are to be with worship. It's a temptation to think that our children are a distraction. and Every parent in the room knows all the hard work that goes in, and getting a child out of bed, into the breakfast table, and out the door, and into the car, and into worship, and the distraction that that can seem like it is. And God reminds us that children are a blessing from the Lord. So the, these songs of ascent are expressing various experiences that the people of God deal with and struggle with as they come to worship, as they approach God in worship. And I say all that because I hope that you'll Take that as a courage, but practically we'll use the psalms that way in your own devotions, in your own life, as you prepare your own heart for worship. Psalm 131, that is a song of ascents, and it is particularly focused on <coughs> at attention on this struggle that we tend to have when we come to worship in dealing with our own pride. And as we do the work of putting on, dotting, humility, as we come to the Lord, because the Lord is to be worshipped with great humility. And so this is what Psalm 31 is all about. 131 is all about dealing with humility, dealing with pride and putting on humility. That's very helpful for us as we approach God this way. We can break Psalm 131 into three sections. There's only three verses. Verse 1 is a denial of pride. And it leads us in a denial of pride. In verse 2, it's a dawning of humility. And it leads us in putting on humility as we put off our pride. And in verse 3... It's the expression of a desire that the whole church of God, it's a call to the whole church of God to in, enter into the blessings uh, that God brings in humility. So we'll look at these three verses just very quickly. Number one, it's a denial of pride. Look at what David says in verse one. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters nor with things too profound for me. And the first thing that we want to notice here about verse 1 is the form of David's speech. It's a denial. This is not a boast. You might take it that way at first glance, but it's not. It's a denial. This is not David saying like the Pharisee, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not haughty and lofty like other men. (laughs) This is David denying his sin. And so it's an implicit confession of his sin uh, it's a it's an implicit confession before God that he's gone to war with his sin. And it's an implicit confession before the Lord that he continues to be the Lord's help as he struggles with these sins. And this denial of his sin is ultimately rooted in David's union with God. David has a new heart. He's been washed. He's been cleansed. He's been regenerated. He's united to God through Christ. And so he can say as he's clothed in the righteousness of Christ, as he lives the new life of faith, that his heart is not haughty. It's a denial of his sin. My heart is not haughty, Lord. He's putting off his pride. He denies his pride comprehensively. You'll notice he focuses in on three areas of his life. His heart, his eyes, and his walk. Each one of these depict the the whole man, the comprehensive life of a believer. His heart, his eyes... And his walk, or what he concerns himself with. His heart is not haughty, his eye is not lofty, he does not concern himself with great matters. things too profound for him. So his heart is not haughty. Let's focus in on David's heart. David is denying the kind of pride that we find in men, uh, like Hezekiah, uh, like, I should say, Uzziah. First, Uzziah. In 2 Chronicles 26, 16, when Uzziah was haughty in his heart and he presumed to go into the temple of God and to take upon himself worship that was reserved for the Levites. He presumed upon God's grace. He took God's grace for granted. David is denying this. I am not haughty. I put aside presumption. I put aside taking your grace for granted. I deny it in myself. He. Or the kind of haughtiness that we find in Hezekiah, who when the Lord rescued him from death, was haughty. And he did not return thanks to the Lord for the goodness that God had done for him. And God's wrath fell upon Hezekiah. And David is here saying, I'm not like Hezekiah. I deny the sin in my heart. And I return thanks to you. And I confess my need for you, Lord. And I give you thanks for the grace that you've promised me and provided for me. In the gospel, he's denying the kind of haughtiness or pride that was in the king of Tyre, depicted for us in Ezekiel twenty-eight two, who exalted himself to be like God in his heart, or Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen, when he boasted in his own beauty, his own attainments, his own idea of beauty, rather than God's wisdom. And so David here is denying haughtiness. He's denying taking God's grace for granted, unthankfulness, self-exaltation, and boasting in what he thinks is beautiful and good instead of what God has revealed to him and teaches him in God's wisdom. David is denying pride in his heart. He's denying, secondly, lofty eyes. My eyes are not lofty. He doesn't look down on others. He doesn't place himself above others in relationship to God's people, in relationship to others. He doesn't make his interest preeminent. He doesn't make his value preeminent. He denies self-interest and self-importance. In his walk, he does not concern himself with matters too great for himself or profound, too profound for himself. One commentary summarized what this means like this. Someone concerned with great matters is always trying to outdo or outperform someone else. And someone who concerns himself with things that are too profound for him is always reaching beyond the limits of the gifts that God has given him. In other words, it's a person who is always seeking his own honor and his own improvement at the expense of others. We can uh, summarize what David is saying here by thinking about what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 12 when he says, let no one think of himself more highly than he ought. David is saying, I deny thinking of myself more highly than I ought. Or when Paul says in Romans chapter 12, outdo one another in showing honor, showing honor to one another. David says, I put away, I deny outdoing others with my own honor. And I decide instead to put their honor before my own. And So David here denies his pride. He puts off haughtiness. He puts off the the fruits of haughtiness. He puts off lofty eyes. He puts off this kind of pride that we see that pits him against an opposition to God's people. But then in verse 2, he puts on something. He's put off pride. In verse 2, he dons humility. Look at what he says in verse 2. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So David uses this beautiful picture of the weaned child as a picture of humility, as a picture of what David has put on by God's grace in his life. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child. And we all know what it is to have a weaned child. And we know what it is to have a child. I guess every parent in the room knows what it is to have a child who likes to cry and to complain all night long, throughout the whole night. And what is that child crying for? It's mother's milk. It's hungry. It wants mom's presence. It wants mom's attention. And so it cries all night long, and it keeps the mom and dad up. And what does every good parent do? They have to teach that child, to wean that child off of its desires, off of its natural instincts and its natural hunger. And uh, the parent has to let that child whine itself all night long to sleep to learn that it's not going to get the milk that it wants and that it craves. At certain hours of the day. And you have to teach that child self discipline by denying it the things that it wants. And in doing so, you wean the child. And of course, through that whole process, you eventually wean them off the milk itself onto solid food. And you, you remove from that child the milk that it craves in order to give it something that's much better for it solid food. And that's the picture of a weaned child. But what's the fruit of a weaned child? What's the result? What's the reward of doing the work of weaning a child? Well, it's probably one of the most beautiful pictures that I can think of in all of God's creation. Is there anything more wonderful? Is there any image or picture in your mind that's more tender, more beautiful, more sweet and wonderful than the picture of a, of a, of a mother holding its child in her arms sweetly and calmly? And the child is not crying. And the child is not complaining. The child is simply resting in mother's arms, perfectly content and happy with the presence of its mother. The mother is involved in the presence of the child. The child is involved in the presence of its mother. They have sweet fellowship and communion. I mean, we had the eclipse yesterday. I don't know how many of you got to see it. I, in fact, I missed it. I'm so disappointed. But we had the eclipse. And we, we can think of all the marvels of God's creation. Things that he's made and placed on this earth: The Milky Way, the night sky, the vast oceans, mountains. Is there anything more beautiful than what God has created in this moment when a mother holds her child, in this content, sweet fellowship between the two because that child has been weaned. Well, David's using this image, you see, to paint a picture of humility and the fruits of humility, which is contentment. Weaning. The American Heritage Dictionary defines wean like this, very helpful. To wean means to reconcile to the loss of anything. Well, that's a tough definition, but that is a good definition. To be at peace with the loss of anything. To be content. To lose anything. Now, as believers, we know that applies to us because we have God in Christ. And we have the gospel. So in the case of the child, the child is reconciled to the loss of the comfort and the ease and the warmth of its mother's milk. It becomes at peace with the loss of these things that it craves. In the case of David, he becomes weaned. He's weaned himself. He becomes at peace. And he's reconciled to the loss of his own sense of honor, glory, greatness, pleasure, self-attainment, self-righteousness, and the natural desires that he has. He weans himself off of these things. He becomes content with the loss of all of them if he can have Christ. If he has the Lord God, he's weaned himself. This is humility. This is the fruit of humility. Rest, contentment in God. Notice that the child is weaned off of something he doesn't realize isn't good for him. Now it's true that a mother's milk is made for an infant, but we all recognize that milk is only useful to a child for so long. They have to come off the milk or they're going to become malnourished because there's not that much nutrient in the milk. It's not good for the child to stay on the milk. The child has to come off of the milk. And of course we all understand this. I mean, it's so wonderful. God's created steaks and potatoes and hamburgers. (laughs) If I set before you a glass of milk or a steak, which one are you going to choose for dinner tonight? Well, you know that the milk's not going to nourish you. But the child doesn't think that way. The child just, all it knows is the milk. And it thinks it's what's best for him. And it cries and it complains and it whines for it. And God teaches us to come off of the milk so that we can have the better things, the solid food. So the believer must exchange his own sense of glory and greatness and pleasure and reward and joy for the definition and for the glory and the greatness and the pleasure and the joys that God supplies to him. He must be content with his God. And so David here dons humility. It's like being in the arms of a... It's like a weaned child being in the arms of its mother. He loses himself in exchange for Jesus Christ. And the reward for David is rest and contentment in fellowship with the Father. So that, in fact, humility is a putting on of the image of Jesus Christ... Remember the way that John chapter 1 verse 18 describes Jesus to us. He's the only begotten Son of the Father. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 18 puts it like this No one has ever seen God, the only begotten Son, who's in the bosom of the Father, who's in his Father's embrace from all eternity and for all eternity, personally is defined as being in the embrace of his father, a perfect contented fellowship and rest. He's the one who's made known to us who God is. And so this picture of a weaned child is nothing less than a picture of the glorious fellowship that we have in God through Jesus Christ and him alone. So David puts off his pride. He does his work. He puts on humility. He tastes the sweetness of a humility, which is pure delight in God, And now he calls on all Israel to join with him in this. This is what verse 3 is all about. O Israel, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. In the Bible, to hope in the Lord is the idea of making him your treasure. Put your rest in him. Make him your contentment and your peace. Make his will in your life, your contentment and your peace. Love him. The psalmist calls on the whole church to join with him in humility and rest in God. This humble rest and dependence upon the Lord. To put away their crying and their complaining about the things that they want and desire. And their own ideas of greatness and honor and goodness and glory. And to put on humility and to trust the Lord. And to prize above all else fellowship with him. David is calling on Israel to do this today. From this time forth, he doesn't say that wait to do this till you get to heaven, he says, Do it now, start now. There's nothing stopping us from doing it today, brothers. I know that we're not in heaven yet, so we don't have the mansions and the streets of gold and all and and the resurrected bodies and the good things that God has promised us. But, brothers, we have the heartbeat and the essence and the substance of heaven by faith today. This is the argument that the author of Hebrews is making in Hebrews 11, verse 1, when he says the substance, faith is the substance of our hope. It's the evidence of the things that we haven't seen. It's the heart of it. So that we have what heaven's really all about already, today. Contented fellowship with God. Peace with Him. And contentment in Him. Humble worship of Him. And that's, what heaven, that's the heart of heaven. If we can't be content with God now, what makes us think we'll be content with God with the streaks of gold? <laughs> you put a sinner in heaven, he'll just turn it into a hell. He'll still be unthankful. It won't be enough. But if we are content with God today, that we hope in Him now, that we taste our inheritance. Now this will put us in heaven suddenly, but it gives us the substance of it by faith. And this is what David's calling on Israel to do. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Make Him your treasure. Rest sweetly and contentedly in His arms. David's saying, I've been there. I've killed the pride. I've tasted the Lord. There's nothing like Him. Join me in resting in Him contentedly and worshiping Him. I say the same thing to you this morning. We're about to enter into prayer. This is an act of corporate worship. Let us rest in the Lord. Let us come to the Lord in prayer as weaned children. Let us go to the Lord and worship in the next hour as weaned children. So Psalm 131, a song of the sins of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore.